0: Chapter Sixteen of Winning His Spurs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Winning His Spurs by G. A. Henty. Chapter Sixteen: A Fight of Heroes. The horse was a good and spirited one, and when he had once descended to the plains, Cuthbert rode gaily along, exulting in his freedom and in once again possessing arms to defend himself should it be needed. His appearance was so exactly that of the horsemen who were continually passing and repassing that no observation whatever was attracted by it. Through villages and even through camps, Cuthbert rode fearlessly and arrived without having once been accosted near the main camp of the Saracens, which extended for miles parallel to the sea. But at a distance of some three leagues beyond could be seen the white tents of the Christian host, and Cuthbert felt that the time of trial was now at hand he dismounted for an hour to allow his steed to rest itself fed it with dates from his wallet and gave it a drink of water at the stream then when he felt that it had thoroughly recovered its strength and freshness he remounted and rode briskly on as before he passed unchallenged attracting no more notice than a person nowadays would do in walking along a crowded street without hesitation he passed the tents and started across the open country bands of horsemen were seen here and there some going and some coming from the direction of the christian camp as it was doubtless supposed that he was on his way to join some band they had gone on in advance the passage of the solitary horsemen excited no comment until he approached within two miles of the christian camp there were now so far as he could see no enemies between him and the point he so longed to gain but at this minute a group of arab horsemen gathered apparently on the lookout against any movement of the christians shouted to him halt demanding whither he was going up to this point cuthbert had ridden at a gentle canter but at the challenge he put spurs into his steed and made across the plain at full speed with a wild yell the arabs started in pursuit they lay at first some two hundred yards on his right and he had therefore a considerable start of them his horse was fairly fresh for the journey that he had made had only been about fifteen miles an inconsiderable distance to an arab steed for half a mile he did not think that his pursuers gained much upon him riding as they had done sideways they had now gathered in his rear and the nearest was some one hundred and fifty yards behind him a quarter of a mile farther he again looked round and found that two of the arabs far better mounted than the others had come within half the distance which separated them from him when he last glanced back his horse was straining to the utmost and he felt that it could do no more he therefore prepared himself for a desperate fight should his pursuers overtake him in another quarter of a mile they were but a short distance behind and an arrow whizzed by cuthbert's ear told him that they had betaken themselves to their bows Half a mile ahead he saw riding towards him a group of Christian knights, but he felt that it was too late for him to hope to reach them, and that his only chance now was to boldly encounter his pursuers. The main body of the Arabs was fully two hundred yards behind, a short distance when going at a gallop, which left him but little time to shake off the pursuit of the two immediately behind him. A sharp, stinging pain in his leg told him that it was time to make his effort, and checking his horse he wheeled suddenly round the two arabs with a yell rode at him with pointed lance with his right hand cuthbert grasped the short heavy mace which hung at his saddle bow and being well practiced in the hurling of this weapon which formed part of the education of a good knight he cast it with all his force at the chest of the arab approaching on that side the point of the spear was within a few yards of his breast as he flung the mace but his aim was true, for it smote the Saracen full on the chest and hurled him from his horse, as if struck with a thunderbolt. At the same instant, Cuthbert threw himself flat on the neck of his steed, and the lance of the Arab, who came up on the other side, passed harmlessly between his shoulders, tearing his clothes as it went. In an instant, Cuthbert had wheeled his horse, and before the Arab could turn his steed, Cuthbert, coming up from behind, had run him through the body short as the delay had been the main body of the pursuers were scarcely fifty yards away but cuthbert now continued his flight towards the knights who were galloping forward at full speed and a moment afterwards glancing back he saw that his pursuers had turned and were in full flight With a shout of joy he rode forward to the party who had viewed with astonishment this conflict between what appeared to be three of the infidels. Even louder than his first shout of exultation was the cry of joy which he raised at seeing among the party, to whom he rode up, the Earl of Evesham, who reined in his horse in astonishment and drew his sword as the supposed enemy galloped towards him. "'My lord! My lord!' Cuthbert said. "'Thank heaven I am safe with you again!' The Earl lowered his sword in astonishment am i mad he said or dreaming or is this really sir cuthbert it is i sure enough cuthbert exclaimed although truly i look more like a bedouin soldier than a christian knight my dear boy exclaimed the earl galloping forward and throwing his arms round cuthbert's neck we thought you were dead but by what wonderful fortune have you succeeded in escaping in a few words cuthbert related the principal incidents of his adventures and he was heartily congratulated by the assembled knights there was however no time for long explanations large bodies of the saracen horse were already sweeping down to capture if possible this small band of knights who had ventured so far from the camp and as king richard's orders were that none should venture upon conflicts except by his orders the party reluctantly turned their horses and galloped back to the camp great as had been the earl's joy it was if possible exceeded by that of canute on discovering in the arab chief who rode up alongside the earl the lad he loved so well loud and hearty were the cheers which rang out from the earl's camp as the news spread and cuthbert was compelled to shake hands with the whole party before entering the earl's tent to refresh himself and give the narrative of what had happened cuthbert retiring to his tent with the earl of evesham inquired of him what had taken place during his absence for he said although but a short three days march from here i have been as one of the dead and have heard nothing whatsoever of what has taken place nothing could have gone worse the earl said we have had nothing but dissensions and quarrels first the king fell out with the archduke of austria on what ground did this happen cuthbert asked for once the earl said the king our master was wholly in the wrong which is not generally the case we had just taken ascalon and we were hard at work fortifying the place king richard with his usual zeal in order to encourage the army seized heavy stones and himself bore them into their place the archduke stood near with some of his knights and it may be that the haughty austrian looked somewhat superciliously at our king thus laboring why did you not make a show of helping king richard said going up to him it would encourage the men and show that the labor upon which we are engaged can be undertaken by all without derogation to this the archduke replied i am not the son of a mason whereupon richard whose blood no doubt had been excited by the air of the austrian struck him with his hand a fierce blow across the face we nearly betook ourselves to our swords on both sides but king richard himself could have scattered half the austrians and these knowing that against his impetuous valour they could do nothing simply withdrew from our camp and sailed the next day for home then the king in order to consolate some at least of his allies conferred the crown of jerusalem upon conrad of Montferrat. no sooner had he done this than conrad was mysteriously wounded by whom it was done none knew some say that it was by the emissaries of the old man of the mountain others affirm that it was the jealousy of some of the knights of the holy orders but be that as it may he died some of the french ever jealous of the valour of our king ascribed it to his orders this monstrous accusation coming to the ears of king richard he had hot words with the duke of burgundy in this i blame him not for it is beyond all reason that a man like the king whose faults such as they are arise from too much openness and from he want of concealment of such dislikes as he may have should resort to poison to free himself of a man whom he himself had but a day or two before appointed king of jerusalem however it be the consequences were most unfortunate for the result of the quarrel was that the duke of burgundy and his frenchmen followed the example of the austrians and we were left alone before this we had marched upon jerusalem but the weather had been so bad and our train was so insufficient to carry the engines of war that we had been forced to fall back again king richard again advanced and with much toil we went as far as the village of bethany why cuthbert exclaimed i passed through the village and it is but three miles from the holy city that is so the earl said and many of us ascending the hill in front saw jerusalem but even then it was certain that we must again retrace our steps and when we asked king richard to come to the crest of the hill to see the holy city he refused to do so saying no those who are not worthy of conquering jerusalem should not look at it This was but a short time since, and we are now retracing our steps to Acre, and are treating with Saladin for a peace. Then, Cuthbert said sadly, all our hopes and efforts are thrown away. All this blood has been shed for nothing, and after the three great powers of Europe have engaged themselves solemnly in the war, we are baffled and have to fall back before the hordes of the infidels. Partly before them, the earl said, partly as a result of our own jealousies and passions had king richard been a lesser man than he is we might have conquered jerusalem but he is so extraordinary a warrior that his glory throws all others into the shade he is a good general perhaps the best in europe and had he done nothing but lead assuredly we would have carried out our purpose see how ably he manoeuvred the army at the fight of azotus "'Never was a more complete defeat than that which he inflicted there upon the Saracens. "'And although the fact that his generalship achieved this "'might have caused some jealousy to the other commanders, "'this might have died away, could he between the battles have been a general and nothing more. "'But alas, he is, in addition, a knight-errant, "'and such a knight-errant as Europe has never seen before. "'Wherever there is danger, Richard will plunge into the midst.' there are brave men in all the three armies but the strongest and bravest are as children to king richard alone he can dart into ranks of the infidels and cut a lane for himself by the strength of his right arm more than this when danger has threatened he has snatched up his battle-axe and dashed into the fray without helm or cuirass, performing such prodigies of valor and strength that it has been to his prowess alone that victory was to be ascribed hence he is the idol of all the soldiers whatever their nationality, for he is as ready to rush to the rescue of a French or Austrian knight when pressed as to that of his own men. But the devotion which the whole army felt for him was as gall and wormwood to the haughty Austrian and the indolent Frenchman, and the retirement of the King of France, which left Richard in supreme command, was in every way unfortunate. Upon the following day the army again marched and cuthbert could not but notice the difference not only in number but in demeanour from the splendid array which had left acre a few months before there was little now of the glory of pennon and banner the bright helms and cuirasses were rusted and dinted and none seemed to care aught for bravery of show the knights and men-at-arms were sunburnt and thin and seemed but half the weight that they had been when they landed fatigue hardship and the heat had done their work disease had swept off vast numbers but the remains of the army were so formidable in their fighting powers that the saracens although following them at a distance in vast numbers did not venture an attack upon them a few days after their arrival at acre the king gave orders for the embarkation of the troops. Just as they were preparing to enter the ships, a small vessel was seen entering the harbor. It drew up to the shore, and a knight leapt from it, and, inquiring where King Richard was to be found, made his way to the king, who was standing superintending the embarkation of some of the horses. "'The Saracens, sire,' he exclaimed, "'the Saracens are besieging Jaffa, and the place must be lost unless assistance arrives in a day or two.' the king leapt on board the nearest ship, shouted to his leading officers to follow him, and gave orders to others to bring down the troops with all possible speed, to waste not a moment, and to see that all was done, and then in five minutes after the receipt of the news he started for Jaffa. The Earl of Evesham and Cuthbert had been standing near the king with the, when the order was given, and followed him at once on board the barb which he had chosen. "'Ah! my gallant young knight!' the king exclaimed." i am right glad to see you with me we shall have more fighting before we have done and i know that that suits your mood as well as my own the king's vessel was far in advance of any of the others when early the following morning it arrived at jaffa your eyes are better than mine the king said to cuthbert tell me what is that flag flying on top of the town cuthbert looked at it earnestly i fear sire that it is the crescent we have arrived too late by the holy cross said king richard that shall not be so for if the place be taken we will retake it as the vessel neared into the shore a monk ran out into the water up to his shoulders and said to the king that the citadel still held out and that even now the saracens might be driven back Without delay, the king leapt into the water, followed by the knights and men-at-arms, and entering the gate, threw himself upon the infidels within, who, busy plundering, had not noticed the arrival of the ships. The war-cry of St. George, St. George, which the king always shouted in battle, struck panic among the infidels, and although the king was followed by but five knights and a few men-at-arms, the Saracens, to the number of three thousand, fled before him, and all who tarried were smitten down. The king himself followed them out upon the plain, driving them before him as a lion would drive a flock of sheep, and then returned triumphant into the city. The next day, some more ships having arrived, King Richard found that in all, including the garrison, he could muster two thousand combatants. The enemy renewed the attack in great numbers, and the assaults upon the walls were continuous and desperate king richard who loved fighting in the plain rather than behind walls was impatient at this and at one time so fierce was the attack that he resolved to sally out only ten horses remained in the town and king richard mounting one called upon nine of the knights to mount and sally out with him the little band of ten warriors charged down upon the host of the saracens and swept them before them it was a marvellous sight indeed to see so small a group of horsemen dashing through a crowd of saracen warriors these although at first beaten back yet rallied and then the ten knights had great difficulty in fighting their way back to the town when near the walls the christians again made a stand and a few knights sallied out from the town on foot and joined them among these was cuthbert the earl of evesham having accompanied king richard in his charge in all seventeen knights were now rallied round the king so fierce was the charge of the saracens that the king ordered those on horseback to dismount and with their horses in the center the little body knelt with their lances opposed to the saracens again and again the wild cavalry swept down upon this little force but in vain did they attempt to break their ranks the scene was indeed an extraordinary one at last the king seeing that the enemy were losing heart again ordered the knights to mount and these dashing among the enemy completed their defeat While this had been going on, news came to the king that the Saracens, from another side, had made their way to Jaffa, and were massacring the Christians. Without an instant's delay, he flew to their succor, followed only by two knights and a few archers, the rest being so worn by their exertions as to be unable to move. The Mamluks, the chosen guard of Saladin, had headed the attack, but even these were driven out from the town, and Richard dashed out from the city in their pursuit one saracen emir distinguished for his stature and strength ventured to match himself against the king and rode boldly at him but with one blow richard severed his head and his right shoulder and arm from his body then having by his single arm put to rout the saracens at this point he dashed through them to the aid of the little band of knights who remained on the defensive when he left them at the alarm of the city being entered these were almost sinking with fatigue and wounds but king richard opened a way around them by slaying numbers of the enemy and then charged again alone in the midst of the mussulman host and was lost to the sight of his companions all thought that they would never see him again but he soon reappeared his horse covered with blood but himself unwounded and the attack of the enemy ceased From the hour of daybreak it is said Richard had not ceased for a moment to deal out his blows, and the skin of his hand adhered to the handle of his battle-axe. This narration would appear almost fabulous were it not that it is attested in the chronicles of several eyewitnesses, and for centuries afterwards the Saracen women hushed their babes when fractious by threatening them with Malik Rick, the name which they gave to King Richard. Glorious as was the success, it was a sad one, for several of the most devoted of the followers of King Richard were wounded badly, some few to death. Among these last, to the terrible grief of Cuthbert, was his friend and patron, the Earl of Evesham. The king, on taking off his armor, hurried to his tent. "'The glory of this day is marred indeed,' he said to the wounded knight. "'If I am to lose you, Sir Walter, I fear that it must even be so, my lord.' the dying earl said i am glad that i have seen this day for never did i think to witness such feats as those which your majesty has performed and though the crusade has failed and the holy city remains in the hands of the infidel yet assuredly no shadow of disgrace has fallen upon the english arms and indeed great glory has accrued to us "'Whatever may be said of the great crusade, "'it will at least be allowed by all men and for all time "'that had the princes and soldiers of other nations done "'as your majesty and your followers have done, "'the holy city would have fallen into our hands "'within a month of our putting foot upon the soil. "'Your majesty, I have a boon to ask. "'You have but to name it, Sir Walter, and it is yours. "'Sir Cuthbert here,' he said, pointing to the young knight, "'who was sorrowfully kneeling by his bedside.' is as a son to me the relationship by blood is but slight but by affection it is as close as though he were my own i have as your majesty knows no male heirs and my daughter is but young and will not be a royal ward i beseech your majesty to bestow her in marriage when the time comes upon sir cuthbert they have known each other as children and the union will bring happiness methinks to both as well as strength and protection to her and further If it might be i would fain that you should bestow upon him my title and dignity it shall be so the king said when your eyes are closed sir walter sir cuthbert shall be the earl of evesham and when the time comes the husband of your daughter cuthbert was too overwhelmed with grief to feel a shadow of exaltation at the gracious intimation of the king although even then the thought of future happiness in the care of the fair young lady margaret passed before his mind for the last time the king gave his hand to his faithful servant who pressed it to his lips and a few minutes afterwards breathed his last end of chapter sixteen